Before I start, I need to turn my microphone on. Before I start with the message, <clears throat> I wanted to share my heart so that you know where I'm coming from. A little over 25 years ago, God saved me. If you knew me before, you knew what a wretch I was. Over that time period, there have been ripples of change in my life. A little bit of growth, a little bit of decline here and there. But about seven years ago, God really began to make a lot of changes in my heart and my life. He used many passages like the one, ones that we're going to look at today. And he used many people to confront me, to teach me, to rebuke me, to help me to see that the way that I was living was foolishness, to help me to see that I was trying to live a Christian life my own way. And what he's shown me over the last seven years in particular is the peace and the joy the hope and the love that comes in a greater relationship with him. There's no perfection in this life, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for it. He wants us. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to submit to him. He wants us to serve him. By God's grace, he will continue to change each of us. By his grace, there would be lasting change so that we would honor him with our lives. Father, guide us by your grace. Help us to see the areas of our lives that you want us to surrender to you. Help us, Father, to be a living sacrifice. Guide us by your spirit, Lord, I pray. Today we're going to look to answer some questions in the text. We're going to look at where, who, what, how, and why. Starting with where, where does this, where does this text appear This text, Romans 12, 1 and 2, is at the last quarter of an entire letter. Obviously, today we have the book of Romans separated in chapters and verses, though when it was originally written, it was one letter meant to be read as a whole. 
we must understand the context when we're trying to understand what any verse is telling us. Paul has spent the first 11 chapters laying out the doctrine of justification by faith and also showing that we cannot be saved by our works. That is, we cannot be forgiven because of any good things that we do. Just like in a court of law, our good does not erase our bad. Since God is perfect, he requires perfection. And only Jesus could accomplish this fully. We're going to do a quick survey of some of the things that Paul has mentioned to this point. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans 3.23. First, we see here, we have a problem. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes all in Scripture might mean a certain group of people. It is very clear that is not the case here. This means all people for all time. Me, you, everyone. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Turn over to Romans 6.23. And look at the first part of that verse where we see our payment. For the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, what we are due, the wages due us, our payment is death. This is not just physical death. This is spiritual death. This is eternal. No going back. Because of our sin, This is what we deserve. Thankfully, in the second part of the verse, we see his provision. Let's read the rest of the verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We have sinned, but he has made provision for us. Turn back to Romans 2, verse 4, please. Here we see his patience. It says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Apart from his kindness, apart from his patience, we would all be damned. His kindness leads to repentance. Next, turn over to Romans 8. We'll be looking at verses 28 to 30. And here we see his providence and we see predestination. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, 
so that he would be the firstborn among many, many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Turn over a page or so. We'll look at Romans 10.9. And this is where we see his prescription. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is essential. We must confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord to receive this gift. This leads us into our passage today, Romans 12, 1 and 2, which I believe we see our purpose. Why did he save us? So where? Where are we? We're about to start the portion of this letter that gets practical in light of all the doctrine that has been taught thus far. Next, we're going to look at who. Who is God? Romans 11:33-36 gives us a good picture. In the first in chapter 12 verse 1, he starts off saying therefore, which is an immediate hint that he's referencing something that was just said. He's going to give some instruction, but he says therefore because of what he has previously said about God. So let's look to see what Romans 11, 33-36 says about God. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and unfathomable are his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who was first given to him, that it might be paid back to him again? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We've been studying through the book of Isaiah. In the last few weeks, we went through a few sections that were amazingly similar to the verses that we're covering, verses 11.33 to 12.2. And so I wanted to review those. Uh, first, Isaiah 43:10-13. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed and there was no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Also, Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, 
the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me who is like me. Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. It's amazing to see the continuity, the continuity throughout Scripture. So many things that, have, that were said in Isaiah are said all throughout the New Testament. And you could say, okay, well, they copied it, but I believe that God is the author of the entire thing. That's why there is consistency. So who? Who is God? God is absolutely perfect in wisdom, in knowledge, and in judgment, far beyond our comprehension. He owns everything there is, and anything that we have, we have received from him, though only for as long as he chooses. Because of this, all glory belongs to him. In understanding who God is, we can better understand who we are. We were created by him, and we were created for him. I'll read again the verses that we're going to be looking at in depth. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So also, who? Who is he talking to? He uses the word brethren. We know that this is a hint to Christians. Brothers and sisters who have put their faith in Christ, this is who he is talking to. So we know that these commands that he's giving is to Christians. Also, he says, urge. This is not simply a request. Paul is looking to draw on everything that he said to this point as motivation for his instruction. This is a begging. This is a pleading. Please take heed to what I'm about to tell you. So who? Who is God? He is the perfect one. And who is the audience? Those who follow him. Next, what? What does God ask of us, or better, command of us? If you look at the middle of verse 1, it says, Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. To present is to deliberately give. This is not done by accident. This is not to be done flippantly or half-heartedly. This is to be done on purpose. Matthew 16.24 says,
Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is a decision that each person has to make. We must deny ourselves and follow him. Also, in Luke 9:62, he says, But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This is not something that we take back. This is not something, again, that we do half-heartedly. When we give our lives to him, it is to give to him completely. There's no looking back. Next he says, your bodies. Present your bodies. This is not just our physical body. This is our, our whole lives, our will, our mind, our desires. Not in part, but as a whole. He wants all of us. He says, as a living and holy sacrifice, this is a dedicated offering specifically to him. Not a dead sacrifice like in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see that they had to bring valuable animals, their best, to present, to give up. That's not what he's asking. No longer a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. He wants us to live for him. This is not in our own way, as I said. He doesn't want us to do things how we think. He wants to do it the way he has told us. We are to be holy, to be set apart. Also, in the Old Testament, when they sacrificed something, it was as though they lost something, trusting that God would provide. In this case, though, our sacrifice is a privilege. We gain so much more than we give. It is not even close. What we gain in peace and joy and hope and love is nothing compared to what he asks of us. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. He gave us the example of what we are to do. Also, he tells us what he asks and commands. Look at the beginning of verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world. We are not to reflect this world. We are not to imitate it. Not to become it or to surrender to it. This world is this world system, this age, its philosophy, its ideals, its traditions, its priorities. We are not to think the way the world thinks. We are not to act the way they do. Not to speak the way they do. We are not even to love the way they do. 1 John 2.15-17 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So what? What does he command of us? He commands us to give our whole life to him, the Lord of all lords, though not by human standards or means, not according to this world, but according to his word. Next, how? How do we accomplish this? If you look at the beginning of verse 1, he tells us, by the mercies of God. Literally, through the compassions of God. This is his extravagant and divine grace that he pours out on his people. This is what enables us to do these things. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Through him, we are able to obey this. His favor, his righteousness, and even the gift of faith that we have comes from him. Also, he answers how. Look at the middle of verse 2. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed literally comes from, the, or comes from the word metamorphosis. In Matthew 17.2, we see this word used as transfigured. Matthew 17.2 says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. This transfiguration, this transformation is to make outward what is already inward. It is to manifest the new nature in action. This is not to be once, though. This is not temporarily. This is daily. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. What does he mean by the renewing of our minds? This is changing the way we think. And this happens through his word. This happens through reading it, through memorizing it, through meditating on it. His spirit, when we are in submission to him and in dependence on him, he changes our mind. He changes our desires. If you are a follower of Christ, no doubt you have seen this. You no longer want all the things that you wanted before you were a Christian. You now want new things. You want good things. Not perfectly, but continually. You want and you learn to want more what he wants. The beginning of Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. He empowers us. He is the one that gives us the ability to make these changes. So how? 
How do we accomplish this? By God's mercy, through time and his word, with the power of his spirit, we are to be made like him. Next, why? Why does he ask this? We have the answer starting at the end of verse 1. It says, Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. First, we are to be acceptable to him. This is to be righteous. This is to be holy. Because again, it's not by our own works. It's not by our own efforts. It is completely under his control when done correctly. We are to be set apart as an instrument for his use. This is not by our own way. Isaiah 64, 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like, filth, like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. If left to ourself, we could not do this in any way, shape, or form. To be acceptable to God is to be surrendered to him. He says, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is how we are to worship him. That is, spiritually. John 4.24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Just coming here today is not worshiping God. If your heart is not in it, if your spirit is not in it, you are simply filling space. We've all struggled with that. We've all shown up unintentionally, undevoted, distracted. When we do, that is not worship. It is when we are in submission to him. It is when we are being led by him, when we are loving him. We see a, somewhat of a parallel in some of the descriptions of how we are to be now compared to the Old Testament priests. First, we are to be set apart. Just as the Old Testament priests were, they were selected by God to be his priests. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Also in the Old Testament, we see that they wore special garments that identified them clearly as priests. Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We don't wear physical clothing. We wear Jesus Christ. And as we reflect him, others see that distinction. They see that we are set apart, that we are dedicated to him. 
Also, in the Old Testament, only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies to be in God's presence. And it was only once a year. But we see in Hebrews 10.19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, when we are his children, we are able to enter the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ anytime we want. Also, we know that the Old Testament priests offered sacrifices. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our sacrifice is to be spiritual. It is to be yielding to him. It is to be obeying him. It is to be loving him. Also, we see why at the end of verse 2. He says, So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When he says, So that you may prove, he's letting us know that this is our responsibility. We must do this for him, though not apart from him. We are evidence for him to this world. We are proof of his goodness. We are proof of his greatness. So that we may prove what the will of God is. This is his desire. This is his way. Not our own. And this is also his known will. This is what he has told us in his word. We don't have to guess. We know what he, what he asks of us, what he commands of us. He says, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, this is according to him, based on his requirements. Not everyone who says that they are a Christian is following what God has told them. How do we measure what is good and acceptable and perfect? Leviticus 22, verses 20 to 21 says, Whatever has, de has a defect, you shall not offer, for it will not be accepted for you. When someone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, it must be without defect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. When he asks for our service, when we are to be acceptable and perfect, it is according to his word, not our own ways. So why? Why does he ask this? Because we owe him our worship, which when done correctly, we are acceptable to him and prove to this, wo to this world how good and perfect he is. We've looked at where we are in context. We've looked at who God is and who the audience is. We've looked at what he commands us. 
We've looked at how we are to accomplish this and ultimately why we should obey. So how do we know if we are doing this? Let's see if these questions can help us. First, where? Where are you in your beliefs in the Bible? Do you believe all of it? Do you believe some of it? Do you believe none of it? Where? Who? Who are you? Are you one of the brethren? Or are you an enemy of God? What? What are you doing with your life? Are you spending your time and your money and your talents pursuing the things that you want? Or are you being spent for the God who saved you? How? How serious do you take God's word? Do you view it as helpful? Do you view it as historical? Or do you view it as absolutely vital to your life and more precious than gold? Why? Why aren't you doing what you know you should be doing? If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, why do you let this world keep you from a closer relationship with him? If you have not repented of your sin, why do you let temporary things keep you from obeying the Lord God Almighty in receiving his mercy? The book, The Gospel Primer, says, The gospel encourages me to rest in my right standing with God, a standing which Christ himself has accomplished and always maintains for me. Free from the burden of trying to maintain it myself, I can now put my energy into enjoying God, pursuing holiness, and ministering God's amazing grace to others. Is this how you would describe what you're doing? Let's pray. Father, we know that you are good, and we know that in and of ourselves, we are sinful, we are selfish, we are prideful. And we do not want to submit. We do not want to yield to you. We want to do things our own way. Forgive us, Lord. I pray that for those who have put their full faith and trust in you, I pray that you would help us to more consistently yield to you. And for those who have not, I pray by the mercies of God that you would open their eyes so that they would repent and turn from their sin. I pray that they would stop pretending that you do not exist. Father, you are so good. You are so great. Please help us to live in a way that reflects that truth. Help us to be living sacrifices for you. 
Help us to manifest your love to this world. Lord, as you will, what you will, when you will.